Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Hello and welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. This is the Arts Commission's weekly turn at the microphone here at MPB. Each week we bring you an in-depth discussion with a different creative Mississippian. We talk to artists, we talk to musicians, craftspeople, and people who promote the arts in their community. Today is a is a special kind of mixture kind of a show. We have a little in-studio interview. We've got some on-site audio. And today we're kind of dipping back and we're remembering the artist and sculptor Floyd Shaman, who was... Uh, a longtime artist, uh, lived in the Cleveland area, taught for many years at Delta State, uh, was a very beloved artist in that community, uh, unfortunately passed away in 2005. But uh, his family is continuing on his legacy in terms of showing his work. And joining us today in the studio is his son, Chris. Chris, welcome. Thanks for having me, Larry. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, we are meeting just past the... It's in the past now, but there was a, a, a recent exhibit of your dad's work uh, down at Lauren Rogers Museum in Laurel from the family's collection. But before we get talking about that, maybe we could just step back and you talk a little bit who your dad was and, and a little bit about his work for people that aren't familiar with him. Okay, sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, my dad uh, was born in Wyoming and uh, studied sculpture at the University of Wyoming. Uh, he studied under a uh, fellow named Robert Russon, who was very well-known in Wyoming. And, and uh, up there, he did some stone carving and uh, worked in the foundry doing bronze casting. And once he uh, got his master's degree, uh, we moved to Cleveland for him to teach at Delta State University and uh, teach sculpture there. There was no stone to carve in the Mississippi Delta, so he transitioned to carving wooden logs and had problems with those splitting because it was the wood was not cured and that's how he transitioned over to his more mature work of the the lamination process and and i forgot to mention at the top that uh i also have pulled some audio of your father from an early 1990s interview that was done by mississippi Public Broadcasting's television division, uh, the producer Ron Rodenmeyer, did an interview for an art show that ran on MPB back in the early 90s. So we we brought some audio in for that to hear your dad. So I was going to play this little clip right now that kind of talks about his, a little bit of what you were talking about. We can listen together here. Okay. Started as a painter uh, in, in undergraduate school, and then I uh, got my undergraduate degree in painting and then I apprenticed for a sculptor for three years in his studio and became interested and then I took my master's degree in sculpture and at that time I was interested in stone carving and when I moved to Mississippi then uh, I found that there was no stone to carve and so I uh, tried wood and I tried logs and the logs split and cracked because I didn't understand that they they dry out when you uh, take them inside so that's uh then i started laminating and that's that's where i am right now and i've been doing that for i don't know 20 years i guess 18 or 20 years i've been laminating wood that was late artist floyd shaman the sculptor from cleveland mississippi and we're talking with his son chris shaman today on the arts hour 
maybe you could talk a little bit about your dad's process itself because it's a very unique kind of the way that he put his put his sculptures together because they're you know he he talked a little bit there about you know kind of his trial and error but then he kind of developed his own style that that's very distinctive he would uh the wood that he would use in the lamination process um he initially started using shelving pine which uh, is, uh, and he would cut that out in rough shapes of what he wanted the sculpture to look like, and he would layer that up uh, several layers high and uh, glue that with just like Elmer's glue. He would drill holes in it and use dowels to hold the pieces in place, and he would clamp that together and let that dry. And then once he had the sort of the full form of the sculpture uh, then at that point he would uh, use traditional uh, sculpture carving tools, mallet and chisels, to carve the detail that he wanted for the sculpture. Early on his pieces were, uh, the life-size pieces, a lot of them were one solid piece of wood, and so they were very heavy and cumbersome to move. And so uh, along the way he, he kind of learned that it was easier to move them and, and to work with them if he uh, separated them into separate pieces, usually at the waist. And so uh, he also uh, started making them more hollow, uh, just so they weren't as heavy to, to carry around. And then sort of the final touch would be to to sand the piece down and get a nice smooth finish on it, and then varnish it or, or uh, put a, uh, some type of finish on it to protect it. And you were showing me some pictures of some of the work postcards of course a lot of the work that's that was in the uh lauren rogers show is is while it might have stain on it it is it is the um the natural wood you're, you're seeing the natural wood and it was interesting how he used the different surfaces to create kind of patterns in that as well yeah he um he did pay particular attention to the the grain of the wood and the color of the wood and and use those features of the wood to to um, into the design of the overall design of the piece uh, and he would select uh, different types of more um, expensive wood to highlight uh, say mahogany or different types of exotic wood he'd use in smaller quantities for accents or uh, different uh, texture and color he didn't on a lot of his work he didn't really stain the wood but he would use different colored woods like walnut is a darker wood uh, to accent the pine or spruce that comprised most of the piece. Now you're uh, one of four children of Floyd and your, and your mother Molly, right? Right. Okay, Molly and yeah. Floyd Shaman, and you were you were all kind of brought into the studio as well. And you guys at the at the art at the exhibit opening and Lauren Rogers kind of talked a little bit about kind of your your studio days working with your dad. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that today too. Yeah, sure. Um, we, uh, my older brother Casey and I spent a lot of time uh, on the weekends working out in the uh, studio for dad. And at the time when I was a kid, I was not happy about that. I would have preferred to be out playing ball with my buddies or, you know, roaming the neighborhood. Uh, but looking back, I really appreciate uh, having that opportunity to spend that time with him and, and to, to be around that. So uh, we would do anything from sweeping the floors to sanding the work or applying the varnish and uh, spent a lot of time hauling his his work around from from uh, gallery to to gallery. He had several different studios over the years, and early on he had one in Renova, which is a small black community north of Cleveland. 
that was an old abandoned schoolhouse. And I, I, he had a, a potbelly stove there. And I can remember in the winters he would make us uh, hot chocolate on that. And uh, I think the stove, he, he named the stove Bertha. But so it was it was really a, a, a great experience. I learned woodworking skills and learned to use power tools, drills and saws and things like that. So very practical experience as well. Now, at, at the exhibit when you were you, you were talking, you were saying, you know, now you appreciate your, your dad's work and, and, and who he was. But maybe as a kid, it was a little it was a little uh, out of the ordinary to be like the son of the artist at the at the el- local elementary school. Yeah, well, I guess first off, moving from Wyoming to Cleveland, Mississippi was a bit of a culture shock for us. And um, so I kind of felt like an outsider from that standpoint. But then also, I just wanted to be normal, one of the guys. And, and you know, I was I, I wanted a dad that was a banker or a farmer. But, but my dad was this weird artist, sculptor guy. And uh, so it, 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 I was you know, embarrassed about that growing up, you know, at times. Uh, but again, I've, I've learned to appreciate it. But even though he kind of had that that outsider maybe you know being this artist in a primarily agricultural community even though it's a cleveland's a university town and there are other artists there the one thing that struck me at the at the opening is everyone talking about how floyd you know floyd had this culture shock as you talked about coming there and and trying to understand the world of the delta but that he eventually became this really integrated into the community of cleveland yeah, um, and I think, you know, I, I mean, he's a very personable guy, very friendly guy. Once you get to know him, uh, everybody that, you know, all his students loved him uh, and the people in the community, I think, got to, to appreciate his work and, and understand what he was all about. I think uh, also part of that is uh, the important role that my mother played. And she was, uh, you know, everybody tells me that she was one of the nicest people they've ever known. Uh, she was very, uh, you know, it was important to her to be to be nice to people and uh, to take care of people. And uh, so I think uh, she played a, a big role in, in acceptance in the community as well. I wanted to kind of on that related to that, I wanted to play a little audio of him kind of talking about kind of his connection to the community here. Okay. We don't have any curtains on the window in, the, in the, what we call the gallery, and uh, that's for a reason. The, uh, we had curtains on the windows, and uh, people were kind of upset that walked by. We had a lot of walkers in the neighborhood uh, in the evenings particularly, and uh, we put the curtains on, and people uh, called and would stop us in the grocery store and say, yeah, take your curtains down. We want to see what's in, in your gallery. So uh, I, we, we leave the windows like they are so that people can walk by and look. And, and we get slow-moving cars uh, cruising by very slowly, people craning. And, and uh, you'll see out-of-state cars where people uh, uh, bring their friends around to see the sort of the odd guy on the, in the town, I guess, the, uh, the local freak or whatever it is, to come and look at the work. Uh, but we, we do get uh, got quite a bit of that. And uh, I don't mind that. It's it's like living in a fishbowl in that in that sense, but uh, it's not uh, it's not anything to get excited about. That was Floyd Shaman, the late artist and sculptor from Cleveland, Mississippi, and we're talking with his son Chris on the Arts Hour today. And any any memories of kind of that that community life and your dad and mom kind of connecting with? I heard a lot of stories when we were at the exhibit last month. 
you know, one one of my friends in high school had had uh, I, he was a new friend had come over to our house for the first time, and pulled up in front of the house and came up the steps on the front porch and was looking in the windows and uh, saw all these people standing around in the, in the front room of the house and knocked on the door and nobody came to answer the door. He knocked again and and nobody was paying any attention to him, and so when I came to the door, he realized that those were sculpture, not people. Uh, so, that, you know, I got a kick out of that, but, um, it's true that, you know, a lot of people would, uh, come by and, and just try to get a glimpse of what dad was working on. And he was, he was real serious about his work. He'd go out in the morning and, and, uh, work in the studio all day, like a, you know, regular eight to five job. And, uh, so, you know, while he didn't mind talking to people, you know, in one sense, he kind of saw it as an interruption to trying to get his work done. But, uh, I know that he, uh, he did uh, try to participate in some of the activities in the community, and there were certain things like the library. He did a piece for the library that's in the children's room uh, and that were various children had uh, modeled for that piece. And I know that that was something that was he really enjoyed interacting with the kids and, and doing something in connection with the local library. That's great. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll listen to a little music, and we'll come back and talk some more about Floyd Shaman on the Arts Hour. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, your host for today on the Arts Hour. And today we're remembering the sculptor and artist Floyd Shaman from Cleveland, Mississippi. Uh, we're joined by Chris Shaman, one of his children, a son of his. And later on in our next segment, we're going to be playing some inter- short interviews from some of Floyd's former students at Delta State who all came out for a, a recent gallery uh, exhibit of Floyd's work at Lauren Rogers Museum. So, uh, Chris, let's start off this segment and play a little piece from that MPB interview that we've been listening to with your dad from the early 1990s. And this is him talking kind of about where he gets the ideas for his pieces and, and the characters that are part of it. Well, I'm an observer of people, I think, is, is basically what it is. And, but these are not one person. These are composites. So if I see a really nifty nose on somebody, it's going to wind up, perhaps, on, on a piece at, uh, that has an interesting chin and a, and a, uh, uh, a big stomach or a, or a big fanny or a small fanny and a big stomach. Or, uh, so it's a combination, and I'll do, I'll do uh, pieces so that I did a piece called Lurleen, the Truck Stop Queen, at one time, and she's a composite of all the truck stop cashiers between here and New York, so that when we, when we uh, would take a load of work, to, say, uh, for a show in New York, we would stop at all these uh, truck stops, and I, I observed there's sort of a hierarchy. The classier the truck stop, the classier the beehive haircut is, and the, and the uh, that sort of thing. So Lurleen became a composite. I'll start with an idea, but then to complete that idea, it has to be. Uh, uh, I have to observe more than one. So they're really not portraits, and they're not really people. Even even some of the pieces I've done, of which I I say are my. Uh, kids they don't look like my kids but it's, it's sort of the essence of, of my kids and that sort of thing we're listening to an early 1990s interview with the late artist floyd shaman and we're talking with his son chris today on the arts hour what did you i mean you worked on a lot of these pieces I and mean, when we were at the gallery you were kind of like i remember when we were sanding this piece or i remember this you know when this piece happened 
what did you what do you remember of kind of his genesis point did he ever talk about well this one's about this guy or you know like where these because they're they're very vivid characters you know a lot of the at least a lot of the pieces at the lauren rogers were were figures and they're very imaginative yeah i think um like he said in that interview that the these are kind of composites of of people different people that he's observed over time or in different places and he, I think he's able to put all that together and create a piece that, that you can kind of relate to. And you can kind of look at that piece and say, yeah, I know somebody like that. Right. You know, uh, so I think uh, that was one of his just real creative one way that he was was very skilled in, in creating something that people can relate to. I was um, I guess I worked in the studio up until through my uh, years in college and um, I really wasn't that interested in art and so we didn't have a lot of discussions you know in depth about the the meaning of his art it was more work for you I guess. right yeah. right but you know it's it certainly shown through and uh, I mean just just like I said by looking at it you can you can certainly it's they're very easy to relate to now another theme that I've kind of felt coming out was just his the the influence that he had as a teacher he taught at delta state for about 10 years or so from from the early 1970s till early 80s but a lot of these people went on to become artists many of them professional and many of them came and we'll be hearing a little bit from some of them later but i was curious to hear about kind of y'all's interaction with with the student his student population over the years dad was very popular with uh, his students at delta state and usually had a Christmas party or some type of annual party and had the students over uh, to our house. And uh, uh, so he was very, very open, and and, uh, it was like family, really. And there are uh, several of his students over the years that have gone on, like you said, to to stick with uh, art and uh, have become close friends to mom and dad. And uh, they've really be- become like family to us. They're very close. Uh, and I think he really felt like uh, they were family as well. They had a very close relationship through the art uh, and that connection, uh, but it also developed into very personal relationships. And I guess a lot of them, some of them actually worked for your dad as well, right? Would come over, was his studio, I guess it moved around, right? Right. Um, initially, uh, he was in a, the first one I remember was the Corks Dairy building that was behind Gibson's uh, out in uh, West Cleveland. After that was the studio in Renova. And then I, I believe that's when we built the studio in, in, in adjacent to our house, uh, and so he worked from there from the early 70s on. Now, uh, another clip that I pulled from the, that interview, he kind of talks about his, I would say, I guess his lack of interest in kind of the market of, of being an artist. And I'm, I'm going to play this real quick. I don't have any kind of uh, market drive that I know of. I'll get in a commission occasionally, and uh, I'll, so I'll, uh, I'll have to shift gears possibly and go over to that direction. But uh, the nice thing about being an artist is you can do what you please. And uh, if you like it, that's fine. And, and uh, that makes it good, in my mind, uh, where nobody else might like it. But uh, I do. So uh, I, can, I can make my own uh, choices. 
And uh, that's the nice part about being an artist is you have total freedom to decide that and you don't have anybody looking over your shoulder. And uh, you might send a piece to a gallery and they say it stinks and they send it back to you. But uh, that's so what? That's that's fine. That's uh, at least your work is uh, is what you want it to be. So if you start trying to think about what can I make that will sell, I think you're really in trouble. And that's why it's very difficult for me even to do commission pieces because there's this person who is paying the money and they, they would like to dictate to me what, what to do and I'm not used to doing that and I'm not interested in, in having them do that. And so that's probably the reason I don't get very many commissions is because I'm not terribly cooperative as far as is, uh, taking orders from anybody. That was uh, the late artist Floyd Shaman, and we're, we're talking, remembering him today and talking with his son, uh, Chris, and we'll be hearing from some of his former students in the next segment. Floyd did sell work, you know, commercially, though, right? I mean, he did mention kind of going to New York. So even though he has this kind of very, he had this very uncompromising kind of perspective, he, w- he was a commercial artist. I mean, he was sold commercially, right? Yeah, that's true. I, I think that was uh, one thing that was just uh, important to him, to his core, was just to be honest in his work. And I, I, I'm, I'm no expert in art, and I don't really know a lot about art myself. But, but I know that 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 was important to him to have the freedom to um, to create what whatever he wanted to, and and not to have any kind of restrictions on it. And uh, I think he imparted that to his students and the importance of that to them. Uh, but he did over the years become uh, very successful in galleries in New York. Uh, there was a gallery in Vicksburg that sold a lot of his smaller stuff, Leslie Silver there, the Attic Gallery. Oh, right. Still around, yeah. Yeah. And then also a gallery in uh, Memphis area, Denver, San Antonio, Santa Monica. So his work was in galleries across the country, but I think he had his most success actually uh, in uh, in the New York market. So he found his people. He just had right. them spread out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Speaking of the work now, both your mother and father are, are are no longer with us, and and so you and your siblings inherited the the collection of that that of work that he hadn't sold. So, talk a little bit about that collection and kind of talk a little bit about it. What what what? How big is it? And 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 what y'all doing with it and that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh, my dad predeceased mom. Mom passed away in uh, 2010. And at that point, uh, their big house was full of a lot of sculpture that had not sold. And um, I was kind of tired of hauling it around and had suggested maybe just doing a big bonfire at that point. (laughs) Chris, uh, nobody would agree to that. Well, that was good. We wound up, uh, the the four of us, uh, just sort of took turns and uh, we sort of broke them into categories, the big pieces and the medium and small pieces. There's a lot of paintings he did. He he worked in other mediums. And so we would just take turns. And over the years, I think we had each kind of in our mind had some that were favorites. And uh, so we would kind of hope that when it got back around to our turn, we'd that one would still be available. But we just kind of rotated around till everything was uh, spoken for. And I think I wound up, uh, each of us wound up with probably four or five or six life-size pieces and and then you know the the same with the smaller pieces uh so there was a good bit of work that was was still available 
and, and the work is uh, the thing, and, and, and you and your sister came and saw us here at the Arts Commission a few years back and trying to kind of think about what could we do. You know, none of you are artists, but you want to kind of uh, get your dad's work out there and let people see it. It's it's still, even though it's ma- some of it was made 30 years ago, it has a very timeless feel to it. It doesn't really feel dated. Um, so I guess the, one of the big first steps was this exhibit, right, at, at Lauren Rogers. Right, right. This has been uh, just a huge honor for us, for them to 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 do this for Dad and to show his work. And, and the, the, the scale of the show and the scope of the show is just incredible. And we are so appreciative to them for doing that. As you mentioned, my sister Clover and I came and talked to you guys here at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And, and you guys were very helpful in and helping sort of set a direction for us and set some priorities and kind of know what would make sense to do and what not to do. So that was very helpful to us. Uh, and so what what I've been doing is just trying to take every opportunity to, to get Dad's work out in the public. Uh, there's a uh, food truck Fridays at Smith Park downtown, I think once a month. And last fall, I brought a couple of pieces down and just showed them during the food truck festival there they had other vendors and right. um, so just trying to let people see his work i had a small show at the flowwood public library with uh, five or six pieces there a year or so back and uh, so just uh, reaching out like that we uh, in 2011 or 2012 the ogden museum of southern art in new orleans asked us to donate a piece of his work there so we have a piece in their collection it's wonderful and um, we are uh, working with other museums around the country to try to uh, to to uh, get pieces uh, in their collections where it'll be appreciated and and uh, let uh, future generations get to see his work, and at least get these life size ones out before your back gives out, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because when the when the kids come home, we're having to shuffle sculpture from room to room so they have a place to sleep. Oh, jeez. Well, that's really great. Well, uh, Chris, we thank you so much for for coming in and talking with us. And and so in the final segment here, we're going to hear from uh, the the opening of the, uh, it's called Wooden Whimsy, right, was the show at Lauren Rogers. Unfortunately, it's closed now, but uh, hopefully it'll be kind of a a jumping off point for even more shows of Floyd's work throughout the state. If people are interested in learning more about Floyd Shaman, where can you direct them online? We have uh, recently started a Facebook page. It's a public page, so even if you're not on Facebook, you should be able to access this. But it's uh, the Shaman Sculpture Studio slash Molly's Bed and Breakfast Facebook page. And so we've got kind of started up putting pictures of uh, Dad's work and what's going on with, with his work and work by some of his friends and, and uh, other people that were important to him. So that would be a good place to go to to uh, see some of his work. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back, and we'll hear some uh, from Floyd's uh, former students. We're back for the final segment of the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and today we're remembering the late sculptor and artist Floyd Shaman from Cleveland, Mississippi. Uh, In the last couple of segments, we talked with his son Chris, and in this segment, we're going to play some tape from recordings I made uh, a little while back at the Lauren Rogers Museum of Art. Uh, the Lauren Rogers just sponsored an exhibit of Floyd's work called Wood and Whimsy. It ran in June and July of, of this year. Uh, at the exhibit opening, I was able to talk with a number of Floyd's former students and friends who, who were in attendance and, and learn a little bit more about the artist. 
So first up, here's a clip from Eddie Gong, who's a former student of Floyd's and longtime friend in Cleveland, Mississippi. Eddie Gong, Cleveland, Mississippi, uh, Delta State graduate, class of 93. He learned very quickly to uh, find out what kind of materials were most readily available for him. You know, the first show that he had at Delta State, it was all marble sculptures and this kind of stuff, and he slowly involved, he slowly evolved into doing wood sculptures and laminates and things like that because the material was here. I think all of us, all of our our little group of uh, <laughs> students, when, when they first got here, uh, sort of built a, a, a good following behind Floyd and Jack Willis and Jerry Walden, so those three were the three guys that we sort of followed, and, and I think their influence uh, has affected all of our lives. Floyd was very, very special, and he had a different kind of perspective on everything. Um, he would put a sculpture together, and he would show it in some gallery viewer would come up to him and say, you know, what is the story behind this sculpture? And he would give them the story behind all of that, and he'd kind of look at me and wink. The next gallery person that came by and asked that question, he'd give them a different story. So, uh, And that was the thing about his sculpture. As, as he began refining his work with the wood, he got to the point where if you look at some of his later sculptures, you, you don't just have to you, you you don't have to just study it from the front. You you've got to take the whole thing and and, and sort of look at sections and kind of read his mind on things. And that was Eddie Gong from Cleveland talking about his uh, late friend Floyd Shaman, who we're talking about today, the late sculptor from Cleveland, Mississippi. We're listening to some interviews I did on site at the Lauren Rogers Museum at the opening of a recent exhibit of Floyd's work at the Lauren Rogers in Laurel. So up next is Floyd's former student, Rob Carpenter, who taught in Louisiana for many years. Uh, my name is Rob Carpenter. I attended Delta State in 1973 and 1974, and I studied art, nothing but art, for those two years. And so those two years, I spent a lot of time with Floyd Shaman. Floyd Shaman and his friend Jerry Walden really drilled into all of us was just hard work and attention to detail and attention to craftsmanship. And if, if there's anything, any great thing that he passed on to me, it was, it was that, that idea of being a disciplined artist and an artist with integrity, and they both drilled that into us. They weren't afraid to tell us when we got out of line and uh, I've been dressed down by Floyd Shaman on more than a couple of occasions. Uh, and it's just because I wasn't keeping up the standard that he expected of us. So, Can you think of any kind of specific memories you have of being in class with him or something that really stood out to you that kind of made an impression as a student? Uh, I can remember one time uh, where Floyd, he secured a, a permission for all of us in his sculpture class to do outdoor environmental pieces and I designed something and I wasn't a, even though my last name is Carpenter I'm not a very good one but uh, I, I designed a piece and I just remember I, I had it set up and it was painted but there were some real flaws with it and I just remember Floyd 
just reaming me up and down about look at the fit of this and look you know this is very sloppily done and I really that little critique right there just just told me bud you better learn how to do it if you're going to measure up to this guy's standards so Floyd could be an intimidating figure he 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 did not uh he didn't, he didn't let things go by the wayside, and he wasn't afraid to tell you if something was wrong or, on the other hand, if something was really good, too. There was some talk during the, the session earlier about kind of his, the creativity that just kind of came out in his life beyond just the work itself, just kind of in his everyday life. And I wonder if you had any specific memories of kind of, you know, Floyd, just, you know, that creativity and how it seeps into other parts of your life. Well, you know, Floyd had a great sense of humor. And he knew how to turn a phrase, and he knew how to... He was a, he was a linguist in a way. But I, I mentioned how he was a great cartoonist. And while Floyd could be very stern, uh, he had a, a wonderful sense of humor. And that, that would often come out during those cartoons, which he did so prolifically. And I don't know where all those things are. I'm sure the kids still have them. But uh, that's just one way that Floyd's, in, in his spare time might do something that that showed that side of his personality. Now, did you visit him in his studio when, when he was working, like, later on? Or? Oh, all the time. Talk Maybe talk a little bit about just seeing him in the studio and, and, and in the midst of his work. Well, I can remember when he was still teaching at uh, at Delta State, and, and, and Chris and Casey mentioned this, they, they had this old school that was out in the middle of a, a cotton field. It was in Renova, Mississippi, which is a little town between uh, outside of Cleveland. And I would go out there because these guys would work all night. They would stay out there. And that, that again made that impression upon me about the importance of putting your time in. You're listening to the Arts Hour. And today we're remembering the late artist and sculptor Floyd Shaman from Cleveland, Mississippi. Uh, recently, I visited the Lauren Rogers Museum of Art in Laurel, uh, for an exhibit opening of some work, uh, some of Floyd's work, and uh, talked to several uh, of his former students and friends who were at the opening. Next up, we're going to talk to Duncan Baird, who was uh, an early student of Floyd's at Delta State, and then later returned to teach at Delta State as well. In this segment, Duncan talks about sharing a studio with Floyd and another one of the artists who taught at Delta State. He shared a studio with Jack Willis at the time, and Jack Willis was a printmaking teacher that stayed at Delta State maybe two years and then left. But they allowed me to join them in the studio to help pay for the rent. They gave me a back room that flooded every weekend, but I loved it because I was there with two really professional artists, and they worked. They would leave teaching, both of them. Tend to the kids, and I remember he would uh, he would come in. We'd meet for coffee somewhere, and then he would come into the studio, and and I would leave at two o'clock. He would still be there working. I, he must have worked all night and all day. But I remember those first pieces of wood, which were just tree trunks that he picked up on on the roadside, and he worked very directly. I don't think he had an idea to start. He would just pick up a chisel and hammer and just start working. And it was like magic. To, to a young student like me that had never never done any carving, it was magical. And uh, some of those pieces, one, there was a major show at the Brooks Museum in, in Memphis at the time. It was an annual juried exhibition. 
but he won that exhibition uh, my first year at Delta State with one of those pieces that he carved. So that's, that's how, uh, how relevant the work was and how timely it was, even though he had never done that before. He'd, he'd only worked in stone. He just jumped into the wood and, and got immediate recognition. I was a, a student, come back after the military, and I was an older student. Yeah, my first semester back, I took a sculpture class with, with Floyd. I thought I was a painter, and then I met Floyd. And I didn't know what I was after I met Floyd because he, uh, he rearranged all my preconceptions. I mean, and that was a wonderful thing because I thought I knew everything. Uh, I was four years older than the other students and, and had had a little art training at Memphis Art, art Academy at the time. And, but Floyd just had a way of uh, showing you that there's a whole lot more out there. That was the artist and former Delta State art professor Duncan Baird talking about his late friend Floyd Shaman, who we're remembering today on the Arts Hour. Next up, uh, we're going to hear from another former student, uh, Bill Myers, who now lives on the Gulf Coast. Bill was a student, but he also worked for Floyd in Floyd's studio, so he has a little bit different perspective from some of the other former students. Did you work for him as an assistant at some point? Yeah, I worked, I worked basically in the studio sanding stuff, and I was the first employee of the year, no, employee of the month, because I was the only employee. So we had, we had a picnic in Rosedale, an employee picnic, and I was awarded employee of the month at the picnic. Congratulations. Yeah, the only employee, but I was the employee of the month. I only won it once, though. <laughs> Tell me about what you learned by working with Floyd, because you kind of had, a, I guess, a, a more, you were around him more being that assistant than just a, just a student. Yeah. Well, I, I learned, really, the busy, biggest thing I learned from Floyd was just to work. And I actually learned that when I was in college, the first go-round. I had two instructors. It was Floyd and Jerry Walden, who they mentioned during the thing. And I would be in painting class, and Jerry Walden would come up and go, Floyd's really worried about you this semester. And then I'd go to 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 Floyd's class, and he would come up and go, Jerry Walden said he's going to have to put a fire under you this semester. And I would be working like a dog. And I was, I mean, I was actually a little frightened of the two of them. And uh, so I worked really hard. And actually, when I was a junior, I got in a juried show at uh, the Brooks Museum in Memphis. And I thought, this art stuff's not really that hard. You know, and I was the only, me and Floyd were the only ones out of Delta State, including all the faculty that applied for it, that got in that show. So I thought, ooh, big deal, you know. So, but yeah, but I mainly learned just be dedicated to things and have integrity, be true. In terms of in the classroom, what lessons specifically do you remember Floyd, either being very specific to, to the sculpture work or something bigger in life that, that, came, that you still think about? Oh, well, I think it truly was the thing about being bigger than life. And some of it was just the humor that went into it, the way he did things and the way he taught. For instance, at the end of one semester, one of his beginning classes, he drew a target on the blackboard and gave all the students balls of clay and, they, and on the target it said A, B, C, D, F and, and he had people throw things at that and told them that was going to be their final grade and people were so upset because they wanted they said you should have told us so we could practice so they totally believed Floyd was there. and Floyd is he would present these things like a very serious thing but you know but you learn this whole thing about part of being an artist is, is learning to play 
and where your mind is free enough that you do funny associations, that kind of stuff. So it was that, that real-life lesson that you learned that, you know, having that attitude, but in working hard. What was it like working with, with Floyd in the studio? Give us a sense of kind of the day-to-day of what that was like. It was very disciplined. And I think I started, like, I would work on Saturdays, and I would be there at 8. And so we would work until 10 where we took a break, and Molly would make coffee and cake for us. And one day I was telling Floyd, I said, you know, this is not real life. He said, I know, you know, because I said, nobody else has this. And, you know, and that was a big partnership. But it was also being part of that family. Sometimes I would roll my, my work table out into the driveway to work, and uh, Clover and, and Corey were the youngest ones, and they were still at home. And uh, they had gotten a book uh, called Cards as Weapons. So they sat on the back steps, and they would pop playing cards at me. And, I mean, until t- it was actually kind of painful. You know, so, so it was that kind of stuff of being part of that family. You know, so I'm still, I, I love the boys. You know, it's just fun. And uh, so it was that whole thing of seeing this as, as a life, a li- way of life. They were talking a little in the program about kind of how his creativity, you know, seeped out of just just the work in the in the studio into kind of his everyday life. And yeah. do you can you think of examples of that? Well, I don't know if it's of that, but I was thinking about the the inventor, the thing that's on the motorcycle in there. I remember the day that it was wobbly, and so Floyd said, "Yeah, you know, he was trying to figure out what to put under the wheel." So I don't know. He stuck a piece of wood, and then he decided to carve it into a hot dog. So, so it wasn't like some great thought goes into it. It was that practicality of I need this to not be wobbling around. And what are you going to put on there? So it was a hot dog. It was a squashy, nice thing to, to carve and put under the thing. So it was that kind of stuff. that You know, you just learn. Just, you just do it. You know, you don't always angst over things. You know, you don't wait for some kind of inspiration. You just, the working is what you do. And the working produces those ideas. That was artist Bill Myers. He was a former student of Floyd Shamans. And to close out this segment, uh, here's one more segment from artist and former Delta State professor Duncan Baird talking about uh, his friendship with Floyd in the later years of Floyd's life. I was telling Chris that how wonderful it was to come back when in Floyd's later years. I guess I knew him 10 years before he died and at that period. We'd eat, eat dinner every uh, Sunday at a Mexican restaurant there, Terry and I, with, and Floyd and Molly. And it was just good to get to know him when I was much more mature and older than he was. But um, when he first moved to Mississippi, that was a real culture shock for Floyd. And, and he didn't quite know what to make of the customs and the people that he met. And so he was a little disgruntled there when I knew him as a student. And there was a, there was a little negative edge to some of his work. It was really, it was sharp-witted but satirical. And, and, and then I saw that over the years mellow. And when I got to know him again, he was very much a fixture in Cleveland. and had become part of the community and gotten to know these people. And they accepted the culture, and they had accepted him. And that, I mean, that was great. That was the artist Duncan Baird talking about his late friend Floyd Shaman. Today we've been remembering Floyd Shaman, who passed away in 2005. If you'd like to learn more about Floyd's work, go on to Facebook and search uh, Floyd Shaman. The, the family has a website, has a page up for him uh, on his art. And if you've tuned in late and you want to hear the entire show, or you'd like to share it with a friend, 
you can go to the MPB website at mpbonline.org. They post all our past shows as streaming files. And until next time, we'll be seeing you around.